You're listening to The Jill Monaco Show, episode number 17. Welcome to The Jill Monaco Show. I'm your host, Jill. Each week, I hope to bring you a message that inspires, encourages, or challenges you to go after and live a life you love. Join me and my friends as we explore what it means to love God, love ourselves, and love others. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Here we go. series for singles, but I don't want to leave anyone out in my audience. So although the next few weeks will be focused on preparing for marriage, dating, and relationships, I started last week on a topic that's good for anyone in relationship with God. I had a conversation with Wendy Pope from Proverbs 31 Ministries about waiting. So if you're married or in a relationship, you will still love that episode because we are all waiting on something and hope this year is the year for breakthrough, right? Now, before I tell you more about my guest today, I want to encourage you to sign up for my signature course for singles, From Looking to Loving. Find the breakthrough you need so you can have the relationship you want. I've done this course for the last two years, and let me tell you, I love it. I meet live with singles over the month of February to discuss the things that are holding them back from finding the relationship they want. There are four key things I feel God wants to show you. And trust me, the feedback from those who have taken it is incredible. People who have gone through it have found the one, and now they're married. It's been so fun. I'll leave links to where you can find that in the show notes of this podcast. Now, my guest for today is also passionate about helping people find freedom to be who God made them to be so that they can have healthy, lasting relationships. I hope you'll be encouraged by this episode as I have a conversation with my friend, Deb Folletta. Her book, True Love Dates, Your Indispensable Guide to Finding the Love of Your Life, is available online and in stores. Her newest book, Choosing Marriage, is set to release in May of 2018. Deb is a regular contributor at Relevant Magazine and Crosswalk.com. With over 200 articles around the web about love, marriage, dating, sex, and relationships, her articles have been featured in all kinds of magazines, websites, and publications like Today's Christian Woman, Proverbs 31 Woman, I Am Second, Churchleaders.com, The Christian Post, Charisma Magazine, Christianity Today, and so many others. The majority of her work, though, is featured on her blog, TrueLoveDates.com, where she reaches millions of readers each year. Now, Deb is one of those people that writes something, and I'm like, I wish I would have said that. She says what you're thinking, explains what you're feeling, and validates you. She's married to John, and they are the parents to three beautiful children, Ella, Elijah, and Ezra, and they live in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I asked her to come on the show and talk about what she sees God doing in this generation about dating towards marriage and how to be intentional towards dating, not just waiting, but actually dating. (laughs) All right. Well, without any further ado, let's talk to my friend, Deb. Hey, Deb, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Yeah, it's great to be here and catch up with you. I know. You know, we're just going to have to use this podcast as a way to catch up and everyone else can just eavesdrop on our conversation. Exactly. Well, um, when you when I was visiting you, you gave me a few copies of your book and I handed them out like candy to people who have eaten it up. And so um, your book was and you started the website True Love Dates based on your book. 
Yep, you're right. I think, you know, it's funny. A lot of people actually think that truelovedates.com came first because I think normally how it works in the publishing industry is you start a blog and people like your blog and then out of that blog, you know, at some point in life comes a book deal and I think that's the usual way it works, but it didn't work like that for me at all. I I wrote this book as a first-time author and I had no way of marketing it because here I am, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working, I'm home with kids, I don't have a platform and I have to market this book. I'm like, this is not necessarily the best situation. So I started truelovedates.com Honestly, just as a marketing tool, Hmm. but I always say that God had such bigger plans for the ministry than even the book because the website kind of took off and, um, you know, reaches millions of singles. And I just feel like looking back, you just, it's one of those things that when you look back, you just see God's hand and you know it had nothing to do with you and everything to do with his plan. Just you as a married person, understanding how to hit the heart of the issues for singles is, mm. I think, a little rare um, because you, you anyone would think that you got it so well that you had been single forever and ever, before, you know, and you have all this content um, right. from real life. You're right. Um, but um, God's just used you in powerful ways, not only in my life, but I know of friends who have enjoyed your book and, and your website. And so... Um, Oh, thank you. That means a lot to me. Yeah. I appreciate that. I, I really do feel like, you know, every everything I write, you know, sometimes I look back and I just, I was just um, saying the other day as I was writing the acknowledgments for this upcoming book, the process of writing for me is more about listening mm. than it is about writing. It's more about just like sitting under the waterfall of God's inspiration and just letting him speak to me. And it's it's one of those things I think the the more distant I am from him, the less I hear him, you know? And I feel yeah. like in those seasons of life, I can try so hard to come up with the most incredible stuff and it falls flat because I'm not getting it directly from him. And so it's, you know, it's one of those things that also keeps you humble, keeps you grounded and just constantly remembering that the only place where I'm getting anything important to say is if I'm getting it from his mouth, his voice, you know? That is so true and so good. And I would agree with you. There are some things that I've written that I've had, you know, sometimes we look at social media and that's the only way, you know, you've written anything that resonates with people, you know? the Right. You're no, right. It is what these days. Yeah. And how many likes or shares did that get? And, you know, and I find the ones that get that are usually the ones where I just felt like I had to say something from my spirit, that the spirit of God was just working through me. And it's the post that came out easily. Um, it's yeah, the ones sure. that I labor over that no one likes anyway. <laughs> and, you know, there's all these marketing tactics out there these days for Christians and bloggers and business owners. And I don't think that stuff is wrong. I think it's important to kind of be able to be a good businesswoman and learn, you know, the tactics of marketing and reaching your demographic. But at the same time, I think sometimes we're so heavy in that direction instead of just like saying, Lord, like this is yours, do with it what you please. And yeah. so it's just this whole process has just for me been finding that balance and, you know, like making mistakes along the way, but learning and growing. So I'm thankful. Yeah. I haven't noticed any mistakes you've made, so 
They've been very small. You can ask very... my husband about those. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You've covered them up well. <laughs> um, but, you know, um, you made me think of something that God said to me because I'm, you know, I just released one of my books and my first book self-published. And just because I That's felt so like... exciting. Thanks. It is a lot more work than I thought. Um, but I did it because I felt like God said, release this. And, um, and I didn't, and I do have a publisher interested in me writing more, making it more of a trade book than a book of really prayer, which is what it is. Um, by the way, I haven't mentioned it, but it's called the freedom coach model. Um, and, but one of the things that really stressed me out about this was, God, how do I market this book? I know some of the right things to do. I don't know everything, but I've seen friends do it. And, and I, I felt like he said this to me a few years ago and, and I, it came back to me when I was doing this process. Like you said, you had to start a marketing plan for it. And I felt like he's so funny. Like God has such a great sense of humor, but we have to hear him. Like you said, otherwise we'll go crazy. And he said, Hey Jill, just like this. Hey Jill, you know, I got my will done way before social media came around. Yep. True. And I was like, Oh, touche. True. Yeah. He had 12 Mm -hmm. guys that changed the world. Um, and they changed the world by the way they lived, not what they wrote. Right. Not, and, and yes, by what they wrote and what they said. But at the time, they didn't know it was going to turn into the Bible. Right. So. And it was certainly not, not because of what they posted on social media. <laughs> <laughs> right. Share with us like where, where you really developed this heart for this demographic and why you said you wrote the book first. So where did all this stem from? Well... You know, I've always um, felt that I wanted to write, but I just never knew exactly what God wanted me to write. And I used to just write devotionals and different things as my way of expressing through my time with God and my time in the Word. And I would kind of journal and started blogging devotions and just different things. And then, honestly, Jill, I I love my relationship with my husband, and I loved our dating relationship, our engagement. I love our marriage. And, you know, we don't have a perfect relationship, but we have a really good one. And I just always felt like I want to share this with the world because people these days don't believe that good relationships exist. And we look all around and we see, like, devastation and hardships, and it starts in singleness and dating. So... One night in my sleep, I literally was in the middle of um, sleeping, and I got woken up, and I just felt like the Lord gave me this title, True Love Dates, and then He gave me these three sections that He wanted me to write about, dating inward, dating outward, dating upward. And so I remember getting up, writing them down in a journal, having no clue what it meant at the time, going back to sleep, and then in the morning, like, was that real? And opening the journal, and there was you know, this title and these three subjects. And I was like, I wonder what this is. And then over a series of time, I just felt like I I needed to write down our story and um, not just our story, because you can't take our love story and apply it to everyone. You know, it's not a cookie cutter mold for relationships. That's never how God intends it to be. So I drew from our story and all the different things I've learned as a counselor, the clients I've counseled, the principles I've learned along the way, and that's sort of where the whole thing started. And God just kept growing my heart um, for this demographic, you know, one year at a time. 
Well, why don't you tell us your love story for those that haven't had a chance to read the book yet? Don't give everything away, but give us a little, um, I, I remember some sweet parts of it, of what God did with you guys. Do you mind sharing? Yeah, well, John and I met, um, we were both post-college. I was in graduate school, and he was um, working, at re- doing some research at the time, and we met at a Christian conference up in Boston, and um, he was there to actually serving and teaching, and I was there attending. And so during the free times, we would kind of get together with a group of students that was there, young adults. They would all go do, you know, mini golf or go to the beach or bowling or something. And so um, during that process, we just sort of got to know each other as friends in this group. And, um, you know, got, when, as you get to know somebody and you start hearing their heart and learning more about them, I think we both left that weekend thinking, I'd really like to get to know this person a little bit more. So we kept in touch as friends um, for a few months, and then uh, eventually we started dating long distance. And we were actually long distance all the way up to our wedding day. Um, He moved in with my parents about two weeks before our wedding, but that was like the longest stretch of time we actually spent around each other before we got married. So that's also really interesting to note for those of you out there in long distance relationships it can work that's right how long did you date long distance um well from start to finish we met um in in july and then we ended up getting married two years later so it was about two years from start to finish including being friends including dating and engagement so what was one of the sweetest things that won you over about him? You know, I just um, remember one thing noticing about him when we first met is that he was very kind. And he wasn't just kind to me, which is what stuck out. Because, mm. you know, the average guy, if he's interested in you, he's going to be kind, you know, mm. and he's going to show you kindness. But to me, that doesn't make them a genuinely kind person. What makes them a genuinely kind person is how they treat the world and the people around them and the people they're not interested in, you know, the people they're not trying to to win over in relationship. And so I just remember that weekend, um, I had some friends along with me and um, just the way he treated our entire group, the way he was kind to the other people at this conference, um, you know, just sort of watching him from a distance and just trying to figure out, you know, is this guy really genuine? But just seeing that kindness exude from his life and also having that affirmed from the people that knew him the best, you know, the, his best friends and his people in his Bible study and his church that, w- that were attending this conference, all being able to say like, yeah, this guy is a legitimately nice guy. You know, he's, he's no joke. He's the real deal. Uh, so I think that was the very first thing that caught my attention is that kindness um, that he displayed. Wow, that is awesome. When you um, when you look at your relationship and then you see others that might struggle, what are some things that you learned through yours and your dating experience, which sounds um, pretty you know, hard work, like you said, but fairly smooth? Yeah. What kind of advice do you give to people that might be struggling a lot? Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. I, I don't even have to go as far to say, here's what others are doing wrong. I'll tell you what I did wrong before I met John. I felt like I was trying to find a puzzle 
to, to fit into a piece into my life, but I didn't even know what my life looked like. I didn't know who I was. Mm. And before I met Dawn, I was actually in a relationship for far too long that wasn't the right match for me. And even after that relationship, I was still, you know, always looking for something that wasn't necessarily a good match for me. And not even talking toxic relationships. I always say that sometimes just a good enough relationship takes the place of God's best. And for me, that was the case. That was sort of my story where I see these relationships, they'd be good enough, you know, pretty good guy, Christian, kind, but not someone who is exuding Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, you know? And so yeah. the problem was, though, looking back, is I didn't know who I was. And when you don't know who you are, you don't know the kind of person that fits into your life. And I think a lot of people are walking around now with the same problem. They're half full, hoping that a relationship will fill them up. They don't really know who they are and what they need and what's good for them. They don't they don't know the kind of person that's going to match. So they're just trying to base it on chemistry, attraction, um, feelings. And in the end, it leads you usually down a dead end, you know? And so I think that's the main message that I try to communicate to singles is in order to find a healthy dating relationship, you've really got to start by looking in and becoming healthy first and, and standing alone so that you can attract a healthy relationship in time. That makes sense. And if you're, um, trying to figure out what you want before you know who you are, that it kind of, you end up fumbling the ball a lot because yeah, things absolutely. aren't working and you don't know why. Mm-hmm. So what would absolutely. you, what can people do if like, how, do, how, let's start with this. How do people know that they may not have a grip on their own identity? Well, it's a process. And I think, I think no matter who you are or where you're at in life, you can take a step towards becoming healthier as an individual. You know, whether you feel like you're on the really healthy end of the spectrum or whether you feel like you've never thought through these topics, um, it's important to start taking steps in the right direction. So in True Love Dates, I actually break it down into three different things, like understanding your past and how your family of origin has shaped you, how your past experiences, good and bad, have shaped you, Um, and and figuring out how your past affects what you do today and the type of relationship choices, because we repeat a lot of patterns in our past. You know, any counselor will tell you there's a lot of repetition that happens based on what we've learned about love from our family of origin. And so there's a lot of baggage we carry that we really need to sort through and let go of. And then As far as identity, I mean, you know, there's so many lies that we believe about who we are that have kind of been put on us by people all throughout our life that we also have to sort through in exchange for God's truth about who we are. And then moving forward, also having a vision for our life. Like, now that I've figured out my past, now that I know who I am today, like, where am I headed? And who is going to be able to take that journey with me? Um, So all of those pieces kind of come together in helping people understand who they are and where they're going and helping them realize what kind of person will fit into their life with them. So when you go to speak to singles at events, um, what are the topics that people are asking you to speak on or that you find are that you get the most feedback on that that was really helpful? You know, I think it runs the gamut. Um, And I honestly go and, and, 
speak whatever I feel like God is leading me to speak at that specific place. And so God has kind of put different things on my heart. Um, you know, sometimes we talk about sex and the single life. Other times we talk about how to pray for your love life. Other times we talk about practical things like, um, you know, how to actually begin dating. I, but a lot of times I, I really step back and just talk about the concept of becoming healthy as the first step to attracting healthy relationships. And so, you know, it's funny, Jill, a lot of times you can um, listen to what people want to hear. And and probably if I asked my audience, what do you want to hear? It would be a lot of dating stuff. Like we want to hear about dating, dating, dating. How do you date? Well, and I think all that stuff is important, but sometimes I have to back up and ask, okay, what do I think God wants them to hear? Mm. You know, more than what even they want to hear. Because as much as some of these events, as much as they might want to hear about dating and the practical stuff, they're not ready for it. And we've got to start, we've got to like back up the train and first talk about, okay, are you even healthy? How do we help you get there? And then eventually we'll get to the dating stuff. So, you know, again, it's really what it comes down to is I'm, I'm like, Lord, okay, I have this thing and I need you to help me figure hmm. out what direction to take it. Yeah, that reminds me, that was when I started Single Matters Magazine, that was the thing um, that God said, help them get healthy and whole, whether they end up married or stay single. And Right, because that's never going to be in vain, you know, like you said, whether they get married or stay single. Yeah, and it helps in all relationships when you get healthy, like you said, healed from the past or dealt with it or processed that, and then you know your identity and who you are today. And that was one reason I started um, the online course that I teach from Looking to Loving for the same reason. Um, I've had a few people take it that said, oh, I thought you were going to tell me how to get a date. And because I talk right. about that, it's about a breakthrough. And, and people do get breakthrough and they do date, but it's because we go through the past and we go through identity and we get healed. Um, right. And then you present yourself in a way that is attractive and... Um, and that you're going to be drawing to yourself the right kind of person. Like you said, you need to know who you are and what you want. So you're attracting that and um, you're engaging yeah, in those absolutely. kinds of relationships. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I know that you had one program. Um, this is one of those times where I was like, I wish I would have thought of that. But because <laughs> I talk so much about freedom and uh, my book, you know, um, Freedom Coach Model and stuff. But you did this program called Breaking Free of the Lies of Singleness. And I was like, yeah. that's what I do. I don't even know why I didn't think of that title. But thank you, Jesus, that you gave it to someone who I love and trust will deliver that message well. Um, so that's where I just feel such a synergy with you. So share um, with people, what is that program about? What could they get if they got that program? What would they get out of it? Yeah, you know, it's funny. It's actually my shortest program. And, and I felt like I needed to do uh, most of my programs are three week things, 21 day type things. Um, this one's just two weeks, but it's really about identifying the lies that, that singles are believing. Um, because I think when you've been single, and especially for those who've been single for a long time, it's so easy for the enemy to just start sneaking in and, you know, your heart is so vulnerable and you're wondering why. And so in that question, there can come so many lies from the enemy of like, oh, you're single because this, you must have done this, or maybe it's because this and, mm-hmm. and things that God doesn't want us holding on to or believing. Um, and so I feel like singles are vulnerable in that regard because it's so easy to put a lot of the blame on themselves. 
of why am I still single? It must be me. And so just learning to identify um, how to assess your health without beating yourself up and without making singleness about you and making it more about what does God have for me right now and how do I make the most of it? So it's really just identifying lies and then speaking truth over them. That's great. I love that. Because I think you're right. A lot of singles, I mean, I've been single for a long time. So there, you know, even for those of us that walk in this and teach it, there can be a little, when you have a, a delayed, you know, dream or desire, you go, did I do something wrong? Did I, did right. I miss it? Um, one of my girlfriends phrases it this way. She says, I just feel like there's, there has to be something wrong with me that no one's choosing me. And right. Yeah. Those lies start filling your head and, you know, and, and it's so good to be able to even acknowledge like, okay, that's not true. How do I deal with that now? Mm-hmm. And so what would you say to, let's take my, my friend and I'll tell her to listen to this. What would you say when someone says, gosh, no one's, no one's choosing me and I don't know why. You know, again, I think there's a really delicate balance between having a healthy self-assessment and having insight into, okay, what is it, what in me does God want to take to the next level? Like, how can I get to the next level emotionally? How can I get to the next level spiritually? How can I get to the next level in all of these different areas, psychologically? And then when you've done what you can do, when you're moving in the right direction, when you're moving in God's direction, then you realize, okay, I've done what I can do. Now I trust God with the rest. I think Mm -hmm. the problem is a lot of times people think that we've got to take a passive approach, like it's one extreme or the other. And I think, you know, being able to identify the things I need to grow in, yet then in the things I can't control saying, okay, Lord, I'm trusting you in those areas. There's nothing I can do about the timing of this. There's nothing I can do about my age, but I can affect my social life and my community and how integrated I am or how isolated I am, I can affect my emotional and spiritual health, you know? And so just basically what it comes down to is learning the difference between what you can change and what you can't. And then everything that goes into that can't category, learning just to lay that at Christ's feet and say, Lord, I I'm, I'm, I'm waiting on you. I'm trusting you, you know, that's good. I think that takes some of the pressure off too, you know, instead, oh, of, for it, sure. instead yeah. of it feeling like it's a bad thing, like, oh, I just give you this. I can't do it. It's a release. I give you this. I, and this isn't mine to carry or worry about. Right. Absolutely. Um, you had mentioned that one of the things that um, you talk to singles about and when you're speaking is how to pray for a mate. Can you talk more about that? Yeah. Yeah, so the seminar that I just did um, this week, and I, I did it at Saddleback Church. Actually, the first time I did this seminar was Saddleback Church. I kind of piloted it there. I, I tend to pilot a lot of my programs there just because I have a really special relationship with them. And um, so I, it went so well that I just felt the Lord leading me to host my own seminar here on the East Coast. So this was actually the very first seminar that my husband, John, and I kind of put on on our own. And what I mean by that is, yeah, usually a church will, you know, call me and ask me to come do an event and I'll go and everything's set up and all, you know, everyone's registered. They market it, they plan it. I just show up, speak, 
you know, and right. leave. Whereas this event was the first time that we had to plan, like, from the ticketing to the catering to everything, you know, yeah. from big, big, little, everything in between. Um, but God just really laid it on both of our hearts. Like, we've got to do more on the East Coast. And I feel like the West Coast tends to be really good at, well, maybe not really good, but better at acknowledging singles, whereas the East Coast... For some reason, I think we've still got some room for growth here. But anyway, all that to say, the Pray for Your Love Life event, I think it's interesting because a lot of people come and they think, well, what am I going to pray for? Dear God, I want him to be six foot four and have this color eyes and this kind of job. And that's not even close to what we're talking about when it comes to praying for your love life. We're talking about significant things that are going to bring healing from inside of us and healing in the relationship around us and also open our eyes to even what to look for in a good relationship. So really, again, what it comes down to, even in praying for your love life, is just praying in a way that's asking God to bring healing into your life and how that's going to impact your future relationships. And so that's sort of where where this program was all about. We, we actually focused on six different ways to pray and um, it was taken from the, I wrote this course called 21 Days to Pray for Your Love Life. And it was just some of my favorite prayers from that program that we talked through. Oh, that is wonderful. I, I totally appreciate the effort in a live event. <laughs> um, and it's interesting because we have, like I said, we haven't talked in a while. So I saw you, you know, sharing that you're going to do it and um, was so excited to see that. Um, but I also did my first live event on my course from Looking to Loving um, over the summer, last summer, and I did it in Dallas. And I, you know, really having, like you said, market it, ticket it, get the venue. Yeah. Um, and I taught it's the thing. It's a lot of work. Oh, my gosh, for sure. Um, but I had so much fun with it. I almost liked it more than my online course, even though I do that where I speak live, um, you know, where they get to hear me live, but it's not in person. Right. Um, I really and I had great volunteers. Um, having lived in Dallas for almost ten years, I had lots of intercessors that came to pray for people, and but it was still um, a lot of work <laughs> to do a live event. Right. But I would do it again because I loved meeting with singles one on one and hearing their heart and praying for them and hearing what God said to them in the midst of it. Um, so. I I hope that you get to do another one. Are you planning on that? Did you find the same kind of success? Or yeah, definitely. I I heard from a lot of the singles there. I mean, we we were completely sold out. There wasn't a seat left in the house, and and a lot of them were like, "Listen, we would come to something like this every month if you had it." Right. Obviously, that's not practical. Unfortunately, as far as the stage of life, um, but I just. What it really opened my eyes to more than anything is there is such a need to pour into singles. And I I walked away from that event saying, like, we would have way less marriage ministry if we focused on singles ministry right now, because we're not focusing on singles. We're not pouring into them. We're not helping them get healthy. They get into relationships that aren't good. And then we have marriage ministry that we heap on them later. Like, let's back this up a little bit and just focus on getting them to a better place. And I just wish that more churches would catch that fire. But as you know, Jill, I mean, singles are sorely neglected in this country. Like, as far as the American Evangelical Church, 
singles are kind of put on the back burner and a lot of them are really struggling with that. So it's just mm-hmm. a matter of figuring out how to help, you know, raise awareness that this is a really important category that we need to be pouring into just like everyone else in the church. Yeah. I think what you said about marriage ministry later, I've I've heard it like, hey, let's do like when you look at the healthcare system, let's do the regular checkup so we don't need triage later. You know? Exactly. It's that same yeah. sort of thing. Um, and I actually heard someone on social media recently had posted somewhere on something. Who knows? I'm in some groups and things for singles. Um, and they said, you know, our, our church said they don't really want to do a singles ministry because they don't want to have to figure out all the dating and navigating purity for everybody and, you know, handling all those issues. And they say we're not a dating service. And and my response, I didn't respond to that post um, but I thought to myself, you know, it's not the church's responsibility to clean up our mess either um, if we make a mess. Like to give to be the church is to love and provide where God has asked them to do it. Um, so some churches are so small they don't or they don't have any singles. But for even some of the big churches who don't have this, and I'm not criticizing churches. I'm just saying there's a need. But sometimes what comes out of the need is so messy. They go, uh, but what we're going to have to put in place to manage that mess is too much. And yeah, and I've seen that people get married out of there, then they get divorced, and then they're handling that. And and so I think, like you said, let's back it up. If we could back right. it up too. We need a singles ministry to help them get healthy and not just talk about contentment and waiting and, you know, all that right. sort of thing and putting all these rules in place like, oh, you two can't be alone, right. you know, and, and let p- adults be adults, um, but really focus on their spiritual and emotional health. I think then they're going to make those choices that are healthy and for sure. their church won't have those issues to have to clean up. Yeah, for sure. But what do I know? I don't know. Maybe a church has tried it and I'm completely wrong. I don't know. Well, you know, and obviously there's like the the issue of resources and budget and there's so many different things. But at the end of the day, I always say all we can do is raise awareness. And then if, if, if your church isn't catching the fire and you find yourself like, you know, feeling hopeless or discouraged or like I, there's nothing here for me, then I say, don't sit around waiting for someone to do it, do it yourself. You start a singles ministry. You start a small group. You start something. I actually offer a free four-week small group curriculum because it's completely free. It it goes with True Love Dates, but you do not have to have read True Love Dates. You can just do it completely on its own because there's so many people out there saying, well, we don't have, then start. You know, be the one that begins that. Start a fire in in the people around you. Take responsibility and do what you can and then just wait on God to do what you can't. You know, God's the one that has to change the heart of people in leadership or, you know, show people that there's a need and get get that ball rolling. That's on him. Yes. But for you, you know, what can you do with, where God has placed you? How can you connect singles? How can you start the the wheels turning of what that could look like in your community. And so I, yeah. I love when I meet singles who are proactive and I, you know, I, I, there's a young woman that I met who just started an entire singles ministry out of a church in Maryland and brought the whole church group with her to this event because they were just like, this is their church wasn't doing it. Their community wasn't doing it. So she 
decided to do it herself. That's awesome. And I think that says a lot, you know, I think that's a really great place to be. You know, and it really seems like it's really kind of how God does it. He doesn't expect us to go and change the world tomorrow. He doesn't give us an idea and say, fix the whole world. He says, take what you have, like in your, you know, what we have right now and do something with what you have and what you can. Um, And I think, you know, I fall prey to that too. Sometimes I come up with an idea and I think, well, if I can't make it the best, then I don't want to do it. And there is something really good, like you said, just take your local church, get a girlfriend together, get a couple people together on a Friday night, do a Bible study, just do something. Yep. Um, you never know how God could grow that, you know, when we're obedient. Mm-hmm. There's a group of young adults that meets at our church, actually, that started with just a handful of people on a Tuesday night, and now it's over 400 people that wow. meet, you know, between the ages of 20 and 40 um, and just have a time of worship and teaching. And, and it's like, you just never know what God has planned. We just have to be the ones willing to take that first step and trust Him with whatever He's got. That's so good. You know, do you, what other resources do you direct people to go get if they're single and they're looking for something other than your book? Do you have anything else that's been helpful or inspiring um, to the ministry that you do? You mean like outside of True Love Dates or other yeah. sources that I have yeah. or other I'm thinking singles that, um, you know, are there any resources that you would direct to singles, say they've already done your book or your study, and they're just looking for more on how to get healthy um, themselves? Is there anything else you would recommend? Yeah, you know, I I recommend a lot of the um, psychological self-help stuff that's out there. Like, for example, the Boundaries book is like a no-brainer. Um, you think everyone should have read that book by now, but you know, Cloud and Towson do a lot of really awesome stuff. And, um, I always tell, do you mean their boundaries, their first one or their boundaries in dating or both? Well, I, I actually probably would start with the first one, but boundaries in dating is a really good one too. Um, so it's an incredible resource and, you know, kind of depends on what their focus is. But like when I meet with people who are struggling with different things like whether it be anxiety or whether it be identity or whether it be sexual struggles, you know, there's different resources out there for all of those different categories. Um, But at the end of the day, I think the more you know about marriage, because a lot of the singles I work with are kind of struggling in singleness, wanting to prepare for marriage, don't know if it's around the corner or not. And, you know, it's funny, I actually encourage them to read a lot about marriage and read marriage books and prep mm-hmm. yourself because you need to know what it is you are getting into before <laughs> you get into it, you know? That's a good... So it might seem counterintuitive, but that's really what we're kind of push them is like, okay, if this is something, a desire that God has placed on your heart, then it makes sense for you to figure out how you can learn the most about it as you can, even while you're standing alone. That's good. I can honestly say I haven't read a marriage book in a long time. So You know, isn't that interesting? Yeah. You're not alone in that. You know, it's very, um, I think that's the norm. And and I actually, you know, it's funny. I look back when I was 16, I used to read marriage books. Like, I remember in high school, I would have, like, marriage books in my book bag. Why? How weird is that? (laughs) You know, it's so weird. (laughs) It is a little weird. I don't understand what it was. But you know what it is? Looking back, I really believe that it was God shaping my heart before I even knew for this Mm -hmm. ministry that he would eventually call me into, you know, 20 years later. But I really feel like 
that's what it was. And I just remember digesting these books by all these different people like the parrots and Gary Thomas and all these different authors that wrote about marriage, Tim Keller and, and just kind of digesting what they knew and sort of figuring out along the way, hmm, how do I apply this stuff to my life? Like, how do I go from point A to point B? And, and so I think um, it's really important. Actually, it's funny because this book that I'm writing coming up called Choosing Marriage, mm-hmm. I, that's sort of my main goal. It, you know, when you hear the word choosing marriage, it sort of sounds like a marriage book, and it is in a sense. But I really wrote it with singles in mind. Like my heart for this book was to like pull back the curtain and give them a front row seat into what a real marriage looks like. And you know, Jill, like singles don't really know what they're getting into when it comes to getting married. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's, there's a lot of these expectations that we have going into it that are, we get there and we're like, oh my gosh, that was completely wrong. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Like what? Give us an example of one. Okay. So for example, I took surveys of a thousand single people and a thousand married people in order to get my information for this book. And so, for example, I would ask singles, how men, how much time do you think the average couple, married couple, spends in positive, meaningful conversation and communication per week? And then I asked married couples the same question. How much time do you think that the average, or, or sorry, how much time do you actually spend? in conversation and communication, positive conversation and communication. And the answers are completely, starkly, drastically different. Like singles assume that the average married couple spends hours a week in conversation and communication, whereas the average married couple, Jill, reported 15 to 30 minutes per week of quality, positive conversation. Oh my goodness, Deb. Is that, do you find that to be your situation too? Were you like in agreement with that? I was not. I was not. Actually, I mean, John and I talk a lot. <laughs> like we have a lot of conversation all throughout the week. I would say at least, you know, half hour of good quality conversation in evening, like when the kids go to bed. And I don't really consider it quality conversation when you're managing three children, trying to do baths, bedtime, dinner. Like, you right. know, it's, it's, there's a rat race involved in this life when, when you've got kids at a certain age. But at the end of the day, a healthy marriage is made on communication. And so it makes sense that if communication is such an important part of a relationship, it makes sense that 5, 10, 15 years down the line, slowly a couple's love, attraction, commitment begins to fade because they really, truly don't know each other anymore. Yeah. So it seems that what singles' expectation was is probably healthy. But what married people are saying is it's not really happening. So manage the expectation that what you want may not happen, but hey, that's a really good, your expectation is healthy. That's good to go for. Absolutely. And realizing that some expectations aren't healthy. For example, most singles have this very elevated view of what sex is going to be like in marriage. And they get there, for example, on the honeymoon, and it's like, oh, this isn't what I expected. I waited. And I thought because I waited, it was going to be great. And it's not great. So what do I do now? You know? So there's good expectations and then there's unreasonable ones and just learning the process of figuring out which ones do I hold on to and and try to achieve 
And which ones do I think, okay, like I have to alter my expectations here and kind of root it to reality and not be disappointed when things don't work out exactly how I expect them to. There's so much practice involved, but that's why it's important to marry someone not for the sexual chemistry because Lord knows what at the end of the day, what really matters is someone who's got love, a servant heart, integrity, someone who sees this as like, we're in this together and we're going to do this together and we're going to figure out how to do it well, you know, not just, you know, my way or the highway. So there's so many things involved in, in, you know, achieving a good sex life. And I really think it comes down to even that kind of thing, achieving good character, having a, a heart that is seeking to serve more than it is to be served. And Things that people don't think about before marriage, you know? Right. Especially in this age when um, pornography and other television shows display an an expectation that isn't realistic. Absolutely. Learning to set the standard of what's real. What is real beauty? Um, And and how how do I block out all the noise that this world is trying to trying to make me digest this this view of beauty that's neither real nor healthy you know mm-hmm. um so yeah it's, this is such an important conversation and it's 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 something that i really hope and pray and believe that you know I, i'm starting to see change in the way that we're having these conversations and so i'm really hopeful as far as the next generation of christians they're going to be exposed to a lot more than we probably were, you know, growing up in the church. Right. Now, I know when you say a lot, what we were exposed to is True Love Waits, and right. you came out with True Love Dates. The Date. purity movement. Right. And you've had a uh, an opportunity to meet with the author, Joshua Harris, who has kind of changed his perspective on that. Is there anything you can share with us? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It was a really good conversation. He's doing a documentary of just rethinking, um, reevaluating his previous message. And, you know, at the end of the day, what's most encouraging is that we're having these conversations. I guess for me, it's sort of like the idea is, well, we're having these conversations 20 years later. Um, Maybe we should have been having these conversations a long time ago, but hey, better late than never, right? Right. We're finally having these conversations. We're finally reevaluating the harms, the positives, the negatives. Um, it was a good conversation, and um, I really think that there's a lot of positives to dating that maybe the church didn't recognize before. And when I say church, I guess I mean the Christian culture in general, Right. Um, where dating was sort of seen as this unhealthy thing, like dating was the enemy, when really um, what it came down to was that we just needed to learn how to do relationships well. And one thing I always say is, like, the church is so good at telling you what not to do in relationships, but they're not very good at telling you how to do them well. And so I'm hopeful, and I really do see that the conversation is slowly starting to shift in that direction. That is so good. What are some of the key um, conversations that you think are, are starting to be talked about on how to do relationships well? Well, I think, first and foremost, that we're not just talking about the purity culture and courtship and like elevating relationships to dating and courtship to the level of marriage, you know, like before it used to be like, you can't even ask someone out for coffee unless you know, like they're the one, you know, like I know she's the one otherwise, like there's so much pressure. And I feel like that pressure is slowly um, sizzling. 
and people are aware that there is such a thing as healthy interactions between men and women in the church that don't have to be sexual, that don't have to be romantic, that don't have to be inappropriate, just healthy interactions within the body of believers the way that Christ intended it to be, you know? And to me, that's hopeful, because I feel like that's where it starts, taking away that awkwardness between men and women, Mm-hmm. And kind of neutralizing it a little bit, seeing each other as brothers and sisters in the Lord, you know? Right. That's so good. That's I, I agree with you. I think that it got a little bit too guarded, and so people weren't even talking anymore, you know? Well, um, you know, it's interesting. One, I actually have a, a, a turnaround question for you about that. As a single woman in the church and serving in ministry, I mean, do you feel like, that attitude, like, how do you, you know what I mean? Like when you're interacting with a a male who might be married or with a group of people and, you know, pastors, leaders, or just people in the church in general, do you feel like there is, um, I mean, well, I guess my question would be, what do you feel the atmosphere is? Do you feel like it's changing? Do you feel like we're still stuck in that? And I, you know, I'd just love to pick your brain and learn from you. Yeah, that um, it's funny that you turned it on me, but I would love to answer that question. Um, I actually had a conversation. I was at a conference last week and had a conversation with some people that are really in this new movement with me in learning to love people well. Not that that hasn't been the message of the church, but part of that that has been lost is this area of physical touch. And yeah. um, and so at this conference, it was a value for them to hug and um, and to greet one another, you know, I know the Bible says greet with a kiss, and but they would hug. Mm-hmm. And I would be hugged by these brothers and fathers with two arms and not the Christian side hug. And, yeah. <laughs> um, and it was as a single woman who doesn't have children, I don't get that. I don't get physical yeah. touch and it can really, it can, I can find myself getting kind of sad and, you know, where I just need to be loved and, um, mm. and Jesus can give me that, but it's, there's a real, I need to be touched, you know, patted on the back or acknowledged in that way. And, um, and so I find like I can hug my girlfriends, but there's something about getting a hug from a brother or a father figure. Um, you know, mm. in the faith to just be like, I see you and I value you. And I'm, I'm just going to put it this way. I am not afraid of your boobs. Like, you yeah. know, and, um, and so what I'm seeing is a movement getting tor- back towards that, where we take away um, some of that shame that is on, you know, p- the potential of sin or the potential to fall because, you know, somebody hugged one another. What do other people think about that? Or, you know, um, so as a single woman, I've gone through different stages. When I was first saved, um, the church I was a part of, um, I couldn't be, I couldn't have a meal with a man. It was Billy Graham's thing, you know, not to ride alone or sit alone at a meal mm-hmm. with a married man. Right. And I totally respect that out of honor for the wife. I don't want to do yeah. anything to cause that. But what it did in that was made me feel like there's something wrong with me, that I am a temptation all the time. To single men or to married men. I like there was and there and I couldn't have expressed it at the time, but I felt like there was something wrong with me that I couldn't have friends that were married. And Mm. and then as I got older and more my friends started getting married, the less people I had to communicate with, you know, of the brother type. And um, 
And so I think I'm still watching it unfold with people. Um, so I do think there there's a need for, for us to hug each other and to not add an extra layer of another law that Jesus didn't put in place. Um, right. But I also, that makes sense. But I also value marriage, and I want to honor that. Um, and I think I have really good relationships with a couple. Like, I'm not just friends with the man. If I get to know a pastor or a ministry, I always ask to meet the wife and communicate with her. I have some friends who are married where they're, if I text them, I text both of them. Um, but you know what, Jill, that doesn't change. Like, even for me as a married woman, like, I'm interacting with a lot of men field, and I kind of feel the same way. It's like, when a couple is one, I kind of view them as one, and I kind of mm-hmm. go through both of them, and mm-hmm. and I think that's a beautiful thing. You know, I yeah. think being able to connect with the couple, man and woman, mm-hmm. you know, in the body of Christ is a really important thing. And like you said, like, I think it's important to have boundaries, and boundaries to protect your marriage. And, yeah. you know, I sure, I certainly have boundaries in our relationship and with my relationship with John and the things that we do or don't do with people of the opposite sex and alone and that kind of thing. Right. But at the same time, ha- having boundaries yet still showing Christ's love and inviting yes. singles into our life and welcoming them and letting them be a part of our family and our life and our children. And I just think, We've we've kind of gone to the extreme of yes. like, well, I might as well just snip them out of my life completely to be on the safe side. Yeah. But I feel like it doesn't have to be either or. There's got to be this balance where you can have boundaries yet still be welcoming and still show God's love. And I think that's a really, really important thing. Yeah, you said it. You said it way better than me in a shorter way. <laughs> um, but I, I agree 100%. And I think we're we're getting there. I really see more and more I people so. speaking out about it. Um, because what are the statistics? Do you know more than 50% are still single or single again? In the, in the All I know is that we have more singles now than we have ever had before. Like ever, ever, ever. Like this is the highest amount mm. of singles that we've ever had in our in our country and world. So, I mean, there's something to be said there. And, and I think you're right. Some of it is people who've never been married. Some of it is people who have been widowed or people who are single again after divorce. And so it's a really, it's a really, um, a really important demographic that we just can't close our eyes to. Yeah. And um, like you said, not close our eyes to, um, but part of seeing them is, also acknowledging all of their needs, right? Not just um, yeah. for, you know, I think a lot of people look at singles and go, oh, their need is they want to be married. Not all singles want to be married again. Right. Some There's of them so just, much more than that. Yeah. They want fellowship. They want a hug. They want to have a brother or a sister in, in Christ because we, we do. And like you said, invite them into your family. I, oh, I am so grateful for my friends that are married that invite me into their family. I so delight in their kids. Um, mm. and not just to be a babysitter, you know, I don't mind doing right. that either, but to, <laughs> which I did a lot more when I was young, um, because then I still didn't have adult interaction, <laughs> you know, um, but, to right, be, right. but to be part of the family, like, um, we all, yeah. we all need that. Um, and I also think there's value in letting people into your life because, you know, as a married person, you get to give them a glimpse of 
everything. Like you, they see what life looks like, you know, and, and I actually had a friend, um, a single friend that came to this event on Saturday and she spent the night here with us and, you know, just seeing the kids run wild after the event and just, just like a day in the life of what it looks like just to have a real life, you know, with dinner yeah. time and bath time and, and just the, the you know, the, this peak of life. And I just felt like, as a married person with children sometimes you're like oh I don't want this to be overwhelming for her but like you said for her it's probably like she's glad that she was invited in it's funny because I Mm -hmm. think sometimes married people hesitate Um, I recently kind of eavesdrop on a Facebook conversation that was happening on my Facebook page at True Love Dates and this one single woman was saying how she doesn't get invited to birthday parties and yeah. her friend's birthday parties, she feels neglected. Well, then the married friend was like, listen, like, I don't invite my single friends because I feel like they have better things to do than come to my kids' birthdays and I don't want to burden them with that. Right. <laughs> so it's like this miscommunication that's happening of we just assume one thing or the other when it's really not true. Yeah. I remember spending several Fourth of Julys by myself. Because mm-hmm. it was family thing. People would go with the kids to see fireworks. And I was like, I'd really like to go. Like, and the kids mm-hmm. are what make certain events fun. The way that they look at the fireworks and they just are so excited about it. And, um, yeah, I think that is um, a really good point. I think there's just a misunderstanding. Um, and you don't want to invite yourself over. <laughs> so to all the married people listening, we feel awkward being like, can I come right. and hang out with you at your – and then when there's all couples and kids, um, you know – like, we don't feel, I don't feel like the third wheel. I don't feel different. Um, yeah, which is so good. Yeah. I mean, some. Pe- I think at a season in my life, I was very aware of, wow, I really want to have kids. And, you know, I think that can, in some people's, depending on where they're at, that could grieve them. But more often than not, they're not going to accept if that's where they're at. Some people don't go to baby showers because they're trying to have children and, right. and they can't deal with that at the time. Um but most of the but time. But at least you asked. Because you're, yeah. You know, at least you asked. It's like, I feel like as married in, as married couples, it's on us to at least ask. And then if they say no, they say no. Like, great. Right. You know, like, let them have their freedom to say no if they want to. But if not, great. Invite them in. You know, let them be a part of what what you're doing, whether it's whether or not it's exciting. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. even if it is just like. A crazy pizza dinner on a random Thursday <laughs> evening. Hey, listen, it's been good birth control at times, too, <laughs> to see what y'all have to go yeah, through. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Totally could see that. Um, but the main thing I've really enjoyed about being as a single person with my married friends is I've really enjoyed seeing good, healthy marriages. I think mm-hmm, when a lot of people sure. have been divorced or, th- like you were talking about, expectations – it's been good to be like, that is the kind of man or for a man, woman that I'm looking for. Because when you're in the crazy pizza party, kids running around, you really see how people normally react. And it's just not yeah. what's preached from the stage. But you can say, oh, this is what I this is how I can treat my spouse. I've learned so right. much by watching some friends of mine when I was on staff at a church and they were pastors, and you kind of have a higher idea of what pastors should act like in their family. And right. um, and a lot of them exceeded my expectations. I'm like, man, they are good dads and great husbands. Mm. And that encouraged me. So good. That's so good. Because I feel like a lot of people get to a point where they feel like this doesn't exist. And since it doesn't exist, I'm going to just go for whatever. 
Yeah. Maybe so they I need like to see you. I'm sorry. Go yeah. Ahead. I like that you were able to see that and it may, it inspired you to realize like, this is what I'm looking for. I think that's such a great takeaway. Yeah. Rather than, well, if we're not around married people, we'll say, well, it doesn't exist because we don't see it. Right. Right. So, yeah. So um, your next book, um, when is that set to release? Do you know? May 1st. So 2018. So it's still it's still a little while away. Yeah. But um, I feel like it's coming up so fast. I just submitted the final, 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 final edited manuscript today. So now it goes to the production stage of making it look nice and pretty and getting it all packaged up. Oh, I'm so excited. I can't wait to get it and read it and glean from all your wisdom. Um, I've so enjoyed this conversation today on some things that we didn't, um, just so the listeners know, we kind of had an idea of what we talk about, but we really were like, hey, let's just talk and see what God wants to do with this conversation. Um, So I'm really glad that we had this talk. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much. And it was good to catch up with you and I'm just thankful for you and all that God is doing through you and your heart and your ministry. So may God continue to bless you in single matters. Thank you so much, my friend. I appreciate it. All right. Well, everything that we talked about in the podcast today, the different books and resources that Deb has, I will link those in the show notes. So if you're listening to the show, you can catch up on that later. So um, and be sure to find Deb at truelovedates.com. So, Deb, thanks again for being on the podcast. And I will talk to you soon. Sounds good. Take care. Thanks, friend. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Jill Monaco Show. You can find more from Deb when you go to jillmonaco.com slash episode 17. Just click on the show notes to find all the links we mentioned today. And I look forward to knowing all of you that are joining me in my online coaching program for singles, From Looking to Loving. So be sure to register soon because it ends on January 30th. FromLookingToLoving.com is where you need to go to find more information. We start in February, so come on, get on over there. Also, so you don't miss an episode of The Jill Monaco Show, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And hey, follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search for at Jill Monaco. So if you really enjoyed this podcast and you think it'll help some of your single friends, be sure to send them over to this podcast and tag me at Jill Monaco so I can continue the conversation with you. All right, friends, thanks so much for tuning in today. And remember, love well, you were made for it.